Trust in him at all time, ye people, pour out your hearts for, to him, before him. God is a refuge for us. Psalm 62.8. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come unto the throne of, throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help those in need.
Amen. They're, I think they're getting better slowly, don't you? I'm gonna, we keep getting more and more numbers every time. I'm going to have to write a kid's cantata so we can just have a, the entire night, Pastor. <laughs> Let's take our hymnals and sing again together. 127. Number 127. Jesus loves even me. I'm glad that nobody's excluded. Even me. Everybody can say that. 127. Let's sing all three verses. I am so glad that my Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. Though I forget him and wander away, still Jesus loves me wherever I stray. Back to his dear loving arms would I flee. When I remember that Jesus loves me, I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. <coughs> oh, if there's only one song I can sing, when in his beauty I see the great Shall my song in eternity be? Oh, what a wonder that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me.
What enjoy? Did you enjoy all that music? Did you notice we started off with the fours and fives? Went up to the first through sixth grade, right? Oh, junior high. Those, that was a good trio. That was three part even. It's hard. It's hard to believe they're in junior high now. I tell you, they're they're. It's coming fast, isn't it? Let's say all right. Fours and fives, first through six, junior high. Is that it? No, we've got one more number. It's, it's the old men. Excuse me. It's the, the <laughs> older men. But we have a star, and he's a senior higher, Josh. Okay, so he's our man. So we he wants to serve the Lord. He likes to serve the Lord and sing, but he doesn't want to do a solo. I said we can help you with that. We'll just surround you some some guys that can just have a good time. We all enjoy singing together. So tonight we do have one more special before the. Um, Message tonight, and when we get up here, just remember, this is so that our senior high guy can serve the Lord. Amen. We're enjoying doing that. Just want to remind everybody, please, if you have a going, someone going to camp tomorrow morning, we need you here between, between 8.45 and 9 o'clock. Please don't come after 9. I mean, don't say please don't come after 9. Just, just please do your best to be on time so we can get everything loaded up and then um, uh, have a quick meeting together and have prayer, and uh, we'll hit the road. Looking forward to a great time of camp. If you have not yet paid uh, the balance of the camper fees, please see Ms. Culver following the service. She'll be out in the lobby and would help us if you could take care of that tonight. If you can't take care of it tonight, you can do that tomorrow morning before we go, but it would be a, a help to us if you could take care of that tonight, please, if you will. I think the other announcements are, we, we went over them all this morning, uh, and I don't think we have to go over them again tonight. So if we help, we can have the ushers come, please. Let's take the offering. <coughs> Nice. Oh, that was okay. <laughs> All right, let's pray. We want to thank you, our Heavenly Father, for your great love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you for the privilege that we have as your children to support the ministries that you have brought into existence. We have so many missionaries. 32 missionaries that our church supports all around the world. You know who they are tonight. You know exactly where they are. You know what they're doing. You know what their needs are physically and emotionally and spiritually and financially. And I pray that our church will continue to be a blessing to them as we uphold them in prayer and as we give that they might continue to labor uh, for you in the place in which you've called them and they would not be distracted and have to get um, the side jobs, Lord, to keep to stay there. So bless tonight as we receive this offering, not only for our missionaries, but also for the work of the church here. Thank you for the wonderful offering that came in last Sunday and how we rejoice. Just rejoice, Father, in your, your greatness and your goodness to us and your providing in such a wonderful way. May the offering today also, I pray, bring, bring glory to Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Turn to page 249. He plays better than I ever did. <laughs> I don't know. I think there was a point in college where I was maybe almost at that level. That's about when the professor said, maybe you better quit. <laughs> 249. 249. When I survey the wondrous cross. I could say something. <laughs> 249. We'll sing all, all the verses. Should have said we'll sing the first and last. Did I say the wrong number? That's why, that's why there's a hesitancy. I'm sorry. What's the number supposed to be? Oh, I see what it is. I see what I did. I put the wrong number in there. Alternate tune, 243, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, I riches And verse 4. up the steeps of light, clad in glorious shining garments, blood-washed garments pure and white, tis a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, 
thundering anthems, filling all the earth and sky. Tis a grand victorious army, lift its banner up on high. Tis a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Tis a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Wave a banner, shout his praises, for our victory is high. We shall join our conquering Savior, we shall reign with him on high. Tis a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Tis a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Thank you, men. Appreciate that very much. Take your Bibles, please, if you will. Turn with me to the, Ephes the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians, chapter 6, tonight. If you were here this morning, you probably noticed that about two-thirds of the way through the message, my voice clicked off. And I won't be surprised if it clicks off again tonight. I feel fine, just don't have much of a voice. Uh, if you heard first tenor on that last song, it was you just give all the glory to David Cain, because I, I couldn't hardly get any of those notes out, all right? Uh, but anyway, I want to preach tonight. I'm sure I will preach with passion. I will preach with um, sincerity. My heart is in the message. I, I just know that I'll be holding back, so perhaps I can get the whole message out and not have to stop halfway through. Now, don't be praying that I have to stop partway through. That does not speak for your character. We're in the last section of Ephesians chapter 6, the final section of the, of the final section of Ephesians. Is the theme here is spiritual war. We have three points, the exhortation, the enemy, and the equipment. First of all, the exhortation we saw that God exhorts us to be strong in the Lord. God exhorts us to put on the whole armor of God. God exhorts us to stand. That's the exhortation. Our enemy is the devil. We saw that he is extremely deceitful. He is very strong, he's invisible, can't see him, he's experienced, and he has a host of demons who assist him. And that takes us to the third point of the outline, looking at the equipment. God provides the armor for us. It is the armor of God. God provides it for us, but he tells us our responsibility is to put it on. We've already looked at, I believe, four pieces of the armor. First of all, we must have on the belt or the girdle of truth. By the way, I was looking at our website this week, and um, well, I'll tell you what, just for fun, I decided to Google Challenge Christian Camp. I thought, is Challenge Christian Camp, if I Google, do they ever, have there anybody, have there, you know, the Google role, have they, and I clicked on there, there was all kinds of stuff about Challenge Christian Camp. So I looked, and it's, how can I, clicked on that, oh, it took us to harvesthillsbaptistchurch.org, it took us to our website. 
And I think it was under events. There's information about Challenge Christian Camp. Now, I was curious. I hadn't looked at our website in a long time, and I said on there, sermons or something like that. I clicked on there, and there's, there's a whole bunch of sermons. I, most of them I preached, probably a couple that Brother Jason preached. And they're the most recent ones. I don't know, it might be about 10 of them or something. They're the most recent ones. And so I thought, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just listen to part of one of them. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've watched Facebook Live sometimes, and, 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 and the message, but, uh, not the whole message, but usually a good part of it. And I thought, well, I've never, I've never heard myself preach on, on just, you know, audio things. So I, but before I did that, I was noticing, I said, which one am I going to choose? Which one should I listen to? And there was one that said, um, it was entitled, uh, Pastor Carsey's preaches on the, the loincloth of truth. I thought, where did this loincloth come from? <laughs> I never used to wear loincloth. I used the girl of truth or the belt of truth, but I did not preach a message on the loincloth. Did you do that, Jason? You actually did that? I figured it was a Google mistake or something like that. I told Bonnie, I said, says on there I preached a message on the loincloth of truth. I didn't, I didn't even want to read it. I mean, I didn't want to listen to it. I, I thought, man, if they can't get the title right, who knows what I said on the loincloth of truth, you know. So I skipped that one and I read on the, I read the breast, I listened to the breastplate of righteousness. Sounds like we need somebody else to title the messages that I preach, okay. Hey, I, I got a good deal. Starting in two weeks when he preaches... I'll put the titles on. I'll put the titles on. I shall get even. I don't know. It, it won't be the loincloth. Who knows what we're going to do with that thing. Anyway. Man. Oh, there were more people listening to that one than any other one. No, no, that is not true. That, that is not true, okay? Uh, the equipment. First of all, we must have on the belt or the girdle of truth, which is truthfulness, integrity. Secondly, we must have the breastplate of righteousness on. That's the breastplate of righteous living. Thirdly, we must have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Sharing the gospel that brings peace to the sinner. Also living a a, a life of full assurance that we have peace with God because we've been saved. We have the benefits of having that relationship uh, with the Lord, a peaceful relationship. He's no longer our enemy because we have on our our feet are shod with preparation of the gospel of peace. And then we saw last week, above all, we must have the shield of faith. Full reliance upon our God. Full reliance upon only our God, but of course, His written word. Full reliance upon God and His written word all the time. Having the shield of faith. And God says that when we have the shield of faith, we will, during the battle, we will be able, we'll be enabled to extinguish all of Satan's fiery darts that he shoots on us. Now, tonight we want to see the fifth part of the armor. God has provided for us this armor, and He tells us to put on the helmet of salvation. Let's start, please, if we could, at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about, is that where you got that? Having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with a preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Tonight we're going to look at our helmet the helmet of salvation, as we see there in verse 17. 
First of all, what the helmet of salvation is not. The helmet of salvation here is not you need to be saved. The book of Ephesians was written to believers. All through the book of believers where they're in Christ. People who are in Christ. They're saints. They've been born again. They've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. They're called brethren over and over again. In fact, how does verse 10, how did it start? Finding my brethren. Be strong in the Lord. So these are believers. These are saved people. God does not tell them to pawn a helmet of salvation and get saved if they've already been saved. Secondly, what is meant here by the helmet of salvation is not, well, you were saved once, but you lost it, so you got to get resaved. Don't you feel sorry for people that think they have to be resaved? I would not want to live like that. How would you like to live thinking that you used to be saved, maybe you still are, you're not sure, but... You know you've committed some sins, and how many have you committed? Did you cross the magic line, or did you happen to commit one that was so bad? At what point did you lose your salvation? Because now you don't feel like you're saved, and so you get, you got to get resaved. And that's a pathetic way to live. And I am so glad that the Word of God is clear. There's verse after verse after verse after verse in the Bible that says, once you are born again by the Spirit of God, once you are saved, you will not, you cannot ever lose your salvation. I said, well, if that's the case, then I just want to go sin. If you've really been saved, you don't want to go sin. You're thankful for your salvation. So this is not a message saying you need to get saved, and it's not a message that says you need to get resaved, get saved again because you've lost your salvation. So what is this helmet of salvation? Could I summarize it? It is the confidence, is the assurance that we truly know God's plan of salvation as given to us in the scriptures and that we have absolutely done what God says. And when I said I'm not putting the focus on doing, it's not a work salvation. You know that. It's by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But God does tell us to do two things to be saved. Number one, he says repent and believe the gospel. So the helmet of salvation is the actually in summary, it's a total assurance that salvation is real. God has given to us his plan for our salvation in the Bible. We know what that plan is, and we absolutely have that salvation. God's biblical salvation, if you know your Bible, it's in three tenses, or there are three aspects to Bible salvation. First of all, this, there's what is called, we would call past salvation. If you want a word to summarize past salvation, it would be the word justification. Justification, past salvation. Say, what's that all about? The very second that we were born again, the very second that we were regenerated, we were justified, we were made righteous. So it's past tense. We were saved from our sins. And this is so important that we remember this now, that we were, once and for all, we were saved from the penalty of our sin. Now that's a, that's a, a short summary of what we mean by past salvation. Justification, some key words, past salvation, past Another key word, justification. The very second we were regenerated, we were, past tense, justified. We were made righteous. We were saved from our sins. And we were saved once and for all from the, here's another key word, the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin. No true believer will face God as judge and then be cast into hell. We've been saved, have been saved already from the penalty of sin. Then there's what's called, we call it present salvation. Present salvation is really not justification. Present salvation is sanctification. All through our life as a Christian, from the very time that we're saved until the time we either go to be with the Lord in death or the Lord Jesus Christ comes back for his saints, all during the time of our salvation, 
we can be saved from our sins. We can be and we should be. It's present salvation. It's sanctification. We are being saved from our sins. We're being delivered from sins. So like past salvation was we were saved from the penalty of our sins, we are now in sanctification or present salvation. We are being saved from the, can you give me another word? It starts with a P. From the power of sin. Past salvation, we've been saved from the penalty of sin. Daily salvation as a Christian sanctification, not justification, sanctification. We are now being saved from the power of sin. Sin does not have dominion over a Christian. And then there's what's called, we call it future salvation. We have past salvation, justification. We have present salvation, sanctification. And we have future salvation, what's the word there? Good, glorification. So we have justification, sanctification, and glorification. What is future salvation? What is glorification? We will one day be delivered from ever sinning again. There will come a day when every Christian will come to the place where he will never, ever sin again. It will not be a struggle. We will not need the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to resist temptation. There will be no temptation to sin. There will be no sinning. It's future salvation. It's glorification. And so we have past salvation. We were saved once and for all from the penalty of our sins. Present salvation, we can be daily saved from the power of salvation. And future salvation, glorification, we will one day be delivered from the, starts with a P, the presence of sin. Okay, the penalty of sin, the presence of sin, and the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day from the very presence of sin. Now, why is the helmet so important? The helmet is important because it protects the head. Would you at least agree that the head is one of the most important parts of the body? Does that make sense? I put down without a head, you're dead. Would you agree with that? I mean, the fight. And by the way, my wife is enjoying so much teaching those fourth, fifth, and sixth graders in Sunday school. And the whole series is on Christ being the head of the church and so forth. And last week, that was what it was about. Christ is the head of the church and the church is the body. And she was trying to make a point and she said, so boys and girls, would you agree the head's pretty important, you know, in this body? So what happens if, you, if, you, if your head's not where you don't have a head? And one of her students, thank you, Caleb. Caleb said, if, your head, if you don't have a head, you're dead. My wife said, that's brilliant. That's pretty good, you know. Good, got a smart dad, I guess, over there, okay? No head, you're dead, okay? I'd say the head's pretty important. The head, by the way, also controls all the actions or the movements of the body. Would you agree with that? If your head is damaged, your body doesn't function like it could function and like it should function. And so in our battle against Satan, we would not fight as we could fight. We would not fight as we should fight if we have a problem with our head because we don't have on the helmet of salvation. Also, by the way, when our head is not right, our mind is not right. Our mind, our brain, you know, what we think, it's, it's coming from here and not here. Now, I know some people, you'd wonder about that. Okay, but the, the mind in the head, obviously, and if there's something wrong with the head, if the head has a problem, if the head's damaged, we should not be surprised where we don't think right. We don't think like we should think. And as a Christian, we won't think especially right about two things. Number one, we will not think, we will not think right about our wonderful salvation. Past salvation, present salvation, and future salvation. 
And number two, we will not be thinking right about how we can fight against Satan, how we must fight against Satan, our adversary, the devil. So the, the brain, what we think, and I mentioned this morning, I don't think any of us realize how important our mind is. Our mind is so important. The helmet of salvation to, get to, to, to protect the head, to protect the brain so we can think right. Think right about our salvation. Think right about how we're supposed to live as a believer. And think, think all three tenses of salvation. Now, most Bible students, most Bible teachers, most Bible preachers believe that the helmet of salvation, when we look at verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation, by far, most Bible teachers and preachers believe that the helmet has to do with all three tenses of salvation, but there seems to be a main focus on one of those three tenses. So first of all, we must be saved and know it. Past salvation. Dr. Harry Ironside said this, If I have any doubt as to my own salvation, I will have no real confidence when it comes to facing the foe. That is a, a very simple statement, but a good statement. If I have any doubt as to my own salvation, I will have no real confidence when it comes to facing the foe. Therefore, for a helmet... I take the knowledge of salvation that is given through his word. And listen, folks, you know this. If you've ever gone through a time in your life where you have doubted your salvation, would you agree it is very hard to witness to an unsaved person when you're not sure you're saved yourself? Is that true? And I'll tell you something else. When you're not sure you're saved yourself because you are doubting your past salvation, your, your salvation experience, you, you, you kind of, you know, kind of a bond. You lose your desire to witness to others. You know, you've got to have assurance of your past salvation to be an effective believer every day of your life. So Dr. Ironside believes that this really is mainly about past salvation, being confident, tru truly confident that you're a believer. We must be also convinced that we can be saved from the power of sin. We must be convinced that we are experiencing that victory, and that's really present salvation. I mean, we're not going to be effective uh, soldiers for the Lord if, if we don't even think we can overcome sin. I've mentioned this so many times, I will never forget when a young man in our church came up to me several years ago and said, listen, I know, I know it works for everybody else, but it doesn't work for me. I cannot overcome this sin. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've, and I've come to the place where I've said, look, there's just no way I will never be able to overcome this sin. And I said, that is not true. Because I do believe that you are a Christian. Do you believe that? And he said, yes, I believe I'm saved, but I just will never overcome this sin. And I said, well, let me, let's, let me show you some verses to help you with that. If we're not convinced that we can, by the power of God's spirit, the indwelling spirit, overcome the temptation to sin and be victorious. We've kind of lost before we start, okay? And then there must be, we believe without question, we must believe without question that we will one day experience final salvation. And so as you think about the helmet of salvation here, and which of these three aspects would be most important? Not, not let's say most important, let me take that back. Which of these three do we think the emphasis is on here, okay? Most believe that it would be on the third. It would be on future salvation. And there's no question about that. You can get all the commentaries you want to get and read them all. And most of the men, the preachers, the teachers, the professors, whoever, 
<coughs> they will say that the helmet of salvation is a must for past salvation, present salvation, and future salvation. But they believe that the focus here, the emphasis here, is really on future salvation. And that's where we're going to put the focus now for the rest of the message tonight. One author put it this way. He is speaking of future salvation, uh, and he says this. This is what the helmet of salvation is all about, exclamation point. I mean, in his, in his mind, there's no doubt about it. When, you, when he reads in the Bible, take the helmet of salvation, he says, this is what the helmet of salvation is all about. Would you go, please, to Romans 13? Because most of the message tonight will be, from now to the end, we'll be looking at passages of Scripture about our future salvation and why it is so important to know what God says and to believe that what he says does truly tell us that even though we have been saved and we are continuing as a Christian to fight the battles of, of Satan day after day, that there will come a day when those battles will be over and we will be glorified. And it's called, it's spoken of as throughout the Bible, it's called future redemption, future salvation. The first one is, look, at Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. And these verses are written to believers, not unbelievers. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Look at the next sentence here. For now is our, next word please, our salvation. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. You say, that kind of confuses me. I thought when I got believed, when I was a believer, I thought that was salvation. Well, Paul says to believers, now, Christians, now, right now, is our salvation Nearer than when we believe. What's he talking about? Future, final salvation. Look at verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore, Christians, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on what? Put on the armor of light. Now read those two verses together. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. Another well-known Bible teacher said this. If we lose hope in the promise of future salvation, there can be no security in the present. That is a good quote. If we ever lose hope in the promise of future salvation, there can be no security in the present. We will live in doubt. We will live in discouragement. We will live in defeat. And that is exactly what Satan wants, by the way. He wants to have us question, how is this really going to turn out? Are we really going to be in heaven? Is it really true that one day we're going to be glorified and, and fully redeemed and fully saved? And it's like... I'm not sure about this, okay? When that starts happening, Satan can put any and all kinds of thoughts in our mind. He can choose, he can put whatever he chooses to put in our mind to cause us to be defeated. And another great Bible teacher said this, quote, The helmet of salvation is that great hope of final salvation that gives us confidence and assurance that our present struggle with Satan will not last forever. And we will be victorious 
in the end. Now that is an important thing to remember. That our struggle with Satan is not going to last forever. And when it's all done, we will not be defeated. We will be victorious. Two important passages of scripture. Number one, please, would you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. This is a key passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Beginning at verse 8. 8, 9, 10, and 11. Take the helmet of salvation, future salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning at verse 8. But let us, who's us? These are believers. These are not unbelievers. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for in helmet, read the next phrase together, the hope of salvation. Take the helmet. For in helmet, take the helmet. The hope of salvation. Obviously, hope, this is future salvation. Verse 9, why? For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. That's future salvation. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, notice please, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also you do. So a part of spiritual growth, a part of maturing in the Lord, a part of being a successful Christian soldier is to have that realization that there is this thing called future salvation, glorification, when we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Would you turn please back to Romans chapter 8. Here's another key passage. I really want to preach more on all these passages, but I always remind myself there's a whole lot more power in one word of God than a thousand words of Pastor Carsey's. And listen, I, I told my wife the other day, I said, after I retire, uh, how do I even say this? Probably the hardest thing for me to do right now is to decide what I'm going to do with all my books. That, that's, that's a tough call. You know, all my books, might, what am I going to do with them? Am I going to throw them all away? Am I going to give them, give them away? Am I going to sell them? Am I going to keep them? I mean, my whole life for 54 years is in that room on all those shelves. And it is not easy for me to know what to do with those books. Which ones to keep? Which ones to give away? Which ones to throw away? I don't, I don't know yet. I don't know. Okay. But I told my wife the other day, as I sort through my books and I decide what am I going to do with them, I, I have, I've made a determination. I have a strong desire that from not wherever, wherever I go, if we stay here forever and we're right a part of this church or if God opens another door someplace and says, go there and do this, or wherever, whatever, okay, I'm determined by the grace of God that I want my focus to be on the word of God. I want to study the Bible more than I've ever studied the Bible because I've, I care a whole lot more about what God says about it than what any man, what he says than any man. You follow me? It's, I'm not opposed, you know this, I'm not opposed to Christian books. I'm not opposed to commentaries. But when it's all said and done, do we care more about what people say about the Bible or what God says in the Bible? I care more about what God says in the Bible. I want my focus to be on the Lord 
Jesus Christ. And I want to study this book like I've never studied it in my life. And I want to be able to live this book. And if I have any opportunities to teach it or preach it, I'd be real happy to do that too. So when you think about Romans 8, this is a key passage. And these other ones we're going to look at before we go tonight. And these words are what God says is more important than anything I God says. So Romans chapter 8, please, if you will, look at beginning at verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Did you get that? The earnest expectation of the creature, it waits for the manifestation, its future, of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know, watch this now, that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. 23, future redemption, look at this. And not only they, not just creation, creature, not only they, but ourselves, Christians, we also ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, what do we do? We groan within ourselves, waiting for the next word. Look at that, think about that. We're waiting for the redemption. You say, I thought I was already redeemed. We've been born again. We've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. What do you read in Ephesians chapter 1? In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the what? The forgiveness of sins. Somebody says, well, I've already been redeemed. I've already been bought out of the slave market of sin. I've already been saved. So what is this? Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit living within us. We ourselves groan within ourselves, <coughs> waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body, the final future redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? For if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And if you have a Schofield Bible, there's a letter Q in front of the word redemption. And in the center margin, it says Ephesians 1, 14, Ephesians 4, 30, and Philippians 3, 20, and 21. And those are all verses about the fact that when we got saved, God gave us a down payment, so to speak. It's called the earnest. The earnest of the Spirit. God's Spirit came to indwell us. And you know what that is? That is a down payment that's like real estate. It is an, it's, an, it's a down payment saying that there is future, this is all going to be done in the future. It's all this future redemption. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. Now would you go please back to Romans chapter 8. Well, we're already in Romans 8. Look at chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. And we know, don't you love this verse? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Notice the word called. For whom, he did, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also what? Glorified. I mean, 
There's no, there's, there's no break in the chain. We are foreknown. We are predestinated. We are called. We're justified. We're sanctified and we're glorified. There's no break in that chain. What did Jesus say in John 6.40? He said, and this is the will of him that sent me. That everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. It's not the end of the verse. And he says, and I will raise him up the last day. Amen. Uh, John 10, 27 and 28. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they shall never perish. Ooh, how you like that? That's future salvation. I mean, they will never perish. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they shall never perish. No man, he said, is able to pluck them out of my hand. Nobody's going to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I mean, his salvation is eternal. It's past, it's present, and one day it will be future forever. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture. And by the way, you know what this is all based on? It's all based on one key event in history. It's on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection chapter, and we don't have time to read the whole chapter. It's 58 verses long. I love the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Therefore, in light of the whole, whole chapter, the reality of Christ's resurrection bodily, and the reality that one day we will be resurrected bodily, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and how the chapter begins the gospel, what is the gospel? It's really summarized in 3 and 4. For I delivered you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I mean, that is a simple definition of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Then in the next few chapters, he tells about several of Christ's appearances, his bodily appearances to show that, listen, Christ really did rise again from the grave. And then you come to verse 12, and now there's a question asked. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, if that's preached, how say some among you that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. Our, your faith is vain. We're, we're false witnesses. And he says, look, if Christ did not rise again, it's a bad deal. I mean, we have a major problem. There's nothing to preach. And, 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 and then he, and he says, and if, if Christ didn't rise again, then there's no resurrection for anybody. Now listen now, if Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, but he never rose again, there is no past salvation, there is no present salvation, and would you agree, there will be no future salvation. It's all, salvation is based on the person and work of Jesus Christ, including his resurrection from the grave. And, and then, and I love verse 30, but now let's read 29. In fact, let's read, uh, I said, let's read 18. Then they also which are fallen asleep, Christians who have died, in Christ they're perished, they're gone. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable, most to be pitied. But now is Christ risen from the dead. You see how important this doctrine is. And when you come down to about 28, 29, 30 in that area, uh, 
Look at verse 32. Paul says, here's a good summary. If, I, if after the manner of men, I have fought with the beasts at Ephesus. Watch this now. What advantage it me if the dead rise not? Did you get that? If after the manner of men, I have fought with the beasts at Ephesus, all I have been through as a Christian trying to serve the Lord, all the dangers, all the hardships I face, what good is it? What profit is there? What's the benefit? What does it advantage me if the dead rise not? Look at the next thing. Look at the next phrase. Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we what? We die. And by the way, that is basically the mindset that a person is going to have if he doesn't believe in a future resurrection. If he just believes that I've been saved from my sins, I'm not going to go to hell, okay, and then I'm kind of going through all the struggles of being a Christian, but I'm not, I'm not sure how things are going to turn out. It's probably going to be like this forever, and I'll probably die in defeat and so forth. And then, and then what? I really don't know what. Hey, listen, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't fight Satan with that kind of attitude. You've got to hell, have on the helmet of salvation. That will be our attitude, I put down, and sad actions will follow. What, what that will be our attitude. Just might as well eat, drink. For, you know, I hate this, but I think, I think it's true. I think it's sad. I think there's a lot of really true Christians who basically their life, they'd never admit it. But that's kind of the story of their life. Let's just eat and let's just drink, you know, because tomorrow we die anyway. What a sad way for a Christian to think. Paul said, if there is no resurrection of Christ, then there's no resurrection for me. There is no glorification. There is no victory over the presence of sin. So if that's the case, if that's the way it is, might as well just eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. But life should be more than that for a Christian. Our lives will be lived in basically self-centeredness, selflessness. Our priorities will be Reverse. They're upside down, and I want to close with this tonight. Would you look at two verses, please, in closing? Would you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18? If we don't believe in a future bodily resurrection, future redemption, future salvation, glorification, salvation from the very presence of sin, final victory, then we will live a selfish self-centered life, and trust me, priorities will get out of whack really, really fast. And it amazes me how today I see so many Christians who have their priorities lined up right. Jesus Christ should be foremost, should he not? He should be at the top, number one. In fact, I haven't totally decided yet when I'm going to preach next Sunday, my last two messages as pastor here. I really haven't decided, but I've almost for sure decided on one. The same message that I preached when I came to candidate here back in July of 1989. I will never forget the text. I remember the message when I came to candidate to be considered to be the pastor here. And every time I think about preaching the last Sunday of this month, my mind goes to that passage of Scripture. You say, what is it? I'm not telling you in case I change my mind. But it ties in with this pretty big time. Okay? Priorities. With Jesus Christ being first. Far above anyone, anything, everything, everyone, everything else.
2 Corinthians 4.18, look at this. Paul says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are, please together, temporal. And the things which are not seen are eternal. Why don't people live for the eternal? I mean, who really lives for the eternal today more than anything else? No, no, it's all about right now, folks. It's about right now. We, 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 we got our eyes on things that are seen rather than the things that are not seen, spiritual realities. And the things which are seen, they're just temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. Now, I'm not saying that we can't enjoy anything that's temporal. I'm not saying that. But you know, and I know that it's true. A lot of things that can take first place and become really big time important to us, a week later, we don't even care. Amen? A month later, we don't even care. A six months later, we don't matter. It doesn't matter. And a, and a year down the road, we don't even remember. Like, like who won the NBA playoffs a year ago? Well, we know who won them this year. What, six games, I think? The Warriors beat the Celtics, four games to two. That was a big deal for a lot of people, especially if you're a Warriors fan. I mean, really. And there's nothing wrong with watching a good ball game or something. But when it's all said and done, I don't mean this in a, in a flippant way, but who cares? While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Maybe enjoyable, but they're temporal. And the things which are not seen are eternal. And what a sad thing for a Christian, a true Christian, to go through a day when they didn't even have 10 minutes to read the Bible and pray. Didn't have time. But the same Christian, the same day, would watch an NBA basketball game for almost three hours. They got three hours to watch a basketball game. Big deal. And don't have 10 minutes to read the word of God. That's what happens when you don't think right because you don't have on a helmet of salvation. 2 Corinthians 4.18, and our last verse is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. Colossians 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. It's all about priorities. It's about thinking right and lining up things in our life that are really, really most important. And we must have on the helmet of salvation, past salvation, present salvation, and surely future salvation. And why, you look at, look at this in this tremendous passage of Scripture, Colossians 3, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. If you then be risen with Christ, and every Christian has truly been risen with Christ. If you then be risen with Christ, what should we do? Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Look at the next phrase. Set your affection on things above. I looked up the phrase, set your affection on. It's one word in the Greek. Set your affection on. I looked at the definition. Here's what it says. To exercise the mind. To be disposed to think in a certain direction. To interest yourself. That's the definition of the Greek word for set your affection on. To exercise the mind. You can do that because you've got the helmet of salvation on. To be disposed to think in a certain direction. You do that when you have the helmet of salvation on. Your mind goes in the right direction. To interest oneself. Somebody said, hey, that'd be a good word. Set your interest on things above. That, that's what it is. It means the same thing. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And look how this passage ends, verse 4. 
when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Does that sound like past tense, present tense, or future tense? Christ shall appear. What's that? That's future. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in, last word, glory. That's why we, glorification. So what you have here in verse 1 is you have past salvation, if you then be risen with Christ, and present salvation combined. What you have at the end of the in, in the end of chapter uh, verse one and chapter in verse two rather is present salvation right now. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Right now, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. And then you have verse four, and that's future salvation. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. That is future salvation, glorification. And when we are, when we have the helmet of salvation on, we will think right, and these passages of Scripture will really come alive. They will mean so much to us. Bow your heads, please, if you will tonight. When you look at these verses of Scripture. Does that not provide some spark in your heart to say, you know what, I am so thankful that I've been saved from the penalty of sin. I'm not going to hell. That's settled. It's done. I've been justified. I'm righteous. I have Christ in me. His righteousness. And isn't it wonderful that now, because God's spirit lives within me, According to Romans chapter 6, I can consider myself having died with Christ and being buried with Christ, and I'm, I've been resurrected with Christ, and I can say no to sin. I can overcome sin. Present salvation, sanctification, being saved from the very power of sin. And isn't it wonderful to think it doesn't stop there? Present salvation, because of past salvation, all leading to future salvation. Glorification, when no longer will there be any sin, I will be saved from the presence of sin, and that is the way it is because Jesus Christ rose again, and we will also rise again. Our Father, we thank you tonight for the simplicity of your word and the power of your word. Help us, I pray, please, to put on this helmet of salvation that you have provided for us we just have to put it on. Help us, I pray, dear Father, to never get over our salvation, all three tenses, all three aspects of our salvation, and may that strengthen us, as you said it will, to think right so we can fight right as we're strong in the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, please, if you will. I hope God tonight speaks to your heart as you've heard his word. As most of our time really is spent just looking through these passages and making sure we understand what God says here. And now we can apply those to our lives. And I pray that it will give us a real enthusiasm and a passion and a strong desire as we continue day by day to fight the spiritual battle against Satan. Let's bow our heads and pray together while our pianist plays. Once again, I ask you to talk to the Lord about whatever he talked to you about while you heard his word preached.
Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. What's the result? And the things of this life, this earth, they just kind of vanish. They really don't care. And it's all in the light of God's wonderful, wonderful grace. Thank the Lord for a good day today at church. Amen. I'm glad I came. How about you? I hope we go home full tonight. Brother Patrick, would you like to close in prayer this evening? We'd appreciate that very much.